Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Well, you know you're listening to Talk Rope Nation. You might know I'm Jim Ross, the voice of AEW, and we're glad you're with us. We're going to have one hell of a podcast. going on guys this is top rope nation episode 147 my name's ryan drosty of comicbook.com i've got kyle ross and justin joint on the line we're here this week hopefully to bring a smile to your face in a in a pretty tough week i think with what's going on uh, not just in the united states and but all over the world uh we'll talk more about that here in just a second but first let me throw it across town to mr justin joint justin how is your week going uh, you know what? Considering the world is crumbling around us, uh, I'm, I'm having a pretty good week over here. That's good. That's good to hear. The family's good. Everything's going well at home. Yeah, man. Kyle Ross, how's it going out in Ohio this week? Just trying to get through a show where hopefully Kevin Owens doesn't rip me on Twitter. <laughs> God man, that's not the place Kevin you want to be. <laughs> You know, this week we found out, well, some of these people we already knew, but we've really found out, you know, who the good people are in wrestling and who the bad people are in wrestling, haven't we, guys? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I'm pretty realistic. I sort of assume most of the people aren't good. You know, I sort of sold my morality. It goes in with bare minimum expectations. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, mean, look, I I know what I, you know, I know what this industry is, you know. Let's not sugarcoat it. You know, I kind of you, you you check your morality at the door a little bit when you decide to like this industry. Uh, maybe you shouldn't, but a lot of people in it aren't, you know, role models. Yeah. Maybe people you should look up, not people you should look up to. Um, but yeah, there were some uh, beacons of light, certainly, on Twitter.com this week. At least uh, some people you can say uh, you're proud to be fans of. Absolutely. I think you see what some of these guys have said on there. And, you know, if you agree with them, it kind of justifies your fandom or your admiration for their work and uh, makes you feel good about supporting guys like, uh, say, a Kevin Owens or a Sami Zayn. Right. So that was good to see. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, which did you prefer more, the takedown of TJP or the take? Well, it wasn't really a takedown of TJP. TJP. He just liked a bunch of anti TJP tweets or um and then he took down Jackson Riker which was better in your guys mind I think I enjoyed the TJP stuff from Kevin Owens because it was more stealth you had to you had to deep dive into his likes to see what was going on personally I I think I think I think it was a little bit more fun but I I think his takedown of uh Jackson was a little bit more on the nose was a little bit more cutthroat maybe I should say Uh mm-hmm it was more like woo-wee, and then you know some other guys piled on too. So, I wonder what's being said behind closed doors in the world of WWE about some of these tweets. Probably not much. You can't. I mean, because if you tell anyone to 
cool the rhetoric down, you're running a big risk as a company. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, you know, how those are perceived. And then, of course, you had what was one of my favorite stories, Bray Wyatt telling that story about Sid breaking his Rocketeer toy as a kid. <laughs> that was good. Right? That was funny. I didn't hear that one. <laughs> yes. In the locker room. <laughs> yeah, it was like a 91 WCW locker room. Bray's a kid playing with a Rocketeer toy and apparently was annoying Sid. And Sid broke the toy. <laughs> oh, all, all I, I could think like was this... at least Sid showed up to the locker room that day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Like, and then I guess so, somehow Bray got that same Rocketeer toy back this week. And he was very happy, and he was like, Sid still stinks. I, 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 I was in tears over that, man. <laughs> oh, well, I have to say, guys, it's it's good to be on the line with you guys, with everything that's been going on in our country this week, to, to get on here and try to separate from the real world a little bit and talk some pro wrestling with you. Always always a blast. Glad to have you guys in my life to do that. And, uh, you know, for, for everyone listening at home, obviously, it has been a crazy week. Uh, we haven't had, you know, we already had the pandemic going on here. And then to add on everything that's been going on in this country in regards to uh, race relations and policing and everything like that. It's been it's been a really tough time to be an American. I know I probably speak for everyone on this show and a lot of you at home when you think about, uh, you know, watching the news every night and uh Probably never thinking you would live through anything like this. You know, we we knew that race relations had a long way to go in this country. We're nowhere close to where we need to be. You know, several hundred years after the first slaves came to Jamestown, we still don't have equality in the United States. That's the history teacher and me coming out here. But, uh, you know, just, just how everything has exploded this week with the violence and everything and, and uh our, our company that that we are affiliated with, Blue Wire, I was very pleased to see them come out with a statement on this, you know, that they stood with the protesters and the Black Lives Matter movement and everything. And uh, I put a statement out on our Twitter page also saying that I'll just read it verbatim. I wrote, we stand in solidarity with the black community. Racism and oppression have no place in the United States. Each and every one of us need to continue to educate ourselves and work to make this country a, ble- a better place where justice ultimately prevails. And, you know, it's simple, but I think that says it all. You know, when you look at a country like the United States that was founded on these principles of all men are created equal, you know, those are in our founding documents, and it's certainly not the case, you know. So um, I think we got a long way to go. All of us need to do whatever we can to help out in, in that regard, and we can all do better, and we can all learn more, and we can all do more to uh, help out those around us that may not uh, enjoy the same kinds of freedoms or the same kinds of judgments as as we do. And so we just thought it was, you know, because of what's going on, it was something that we should mention on the show, and uh, just to say that, yeah, I mean, we we stand we stand for solidarity and uh, and justice, and I think everyone should, and we'll be following the news like all of you will, and uh, certainly the pro wrestling industry is uh, another area of the world that has a long way to go. We know that non-white people in the wrestling industry historically have not been treated as equals either. All, all you have to do is look at the championship lineage in uh, some of the longtime professional wrestling companies and uh so I, I i guess that's about all i have to say about that if uh any of you guys have anything to add at all feel free yeah i have something to add ryan you know i, I was 
scanning my social media feeds all week long, as I'm sure both of you were. And something struck me a few days ago. And I'm certainly not going to mention any names. I mean, a lot of this was actually on Facebook. So be, you know, people that I know that no one really cares about listening to the show. But if your initial outrage at everything that has transpired here over the last week or so is at the protests or, you know, the quote unquote riots or the looting, I think you need to better educate yourself. I'm not here to condone looting, but at the same time, um, I understand anger. And if you, you, the initial outrage needed to be about what happened to George Floyd, obviously. I mean, if you were someone who only speak, spoke up because your city um, happened to get some broken windows, um, I'm just going to say, I think you need to better educate yourself, mm-hmm. period, point blank. Yeah. Well said. Anything to add, Justin? Well, I, I There's no way I can put it any better than you guys just did. So I'm, I'm going to lighten it up a little bit and just uh, read a very, one of my favorite tweet that I've seen from the past uh, past couple weeks. And that is, can't believe Corona blew a 28 to 3 lead to racism. Mm. <laughs> I saw that too. Yeah. <sighs> kind of says it all right there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So as Kyle said, we're certainly not you know, trying to condone um, violence or anything like that or looting. But yeah, we understand anger. We know why there's anger. We think a lot of the anger itself is justified. And we know you guys don't necessarily tune into our wrestling podcast to hear commentary on, you know, current events like this. But it's such a massive story and is really just impacting everyone's lives in some capacity. So we did think we did need to say something. And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of where we stand. So, you know, if you're out there, you're being affected. We we stand with you. We stand with you for justice. We stand with you in looking for leadership to uh, help this country through the situation we are in right now. And, and hopefully we come out on the better end, however long that may take. And uh, we have a better country for it. So with that said, let's transition into pro wrestling talk, guys. Let's lighten the mood a little bit. We're going to talk about something that debuted on the WWE Network just a couple of days ago. And this one kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, You know, WWE, whenever they have these exclusive shows, they're usually promoting them for a couple weeks. And maybe I missed it. I didn't really hear about this until just a few days before it aired. And um, this was this lost tape on Sting, you know, who's someone that we all grew up watching. Uh, And this was filmed in 1995, never saw the light of day. 25 years later, like out of nowhere, WWE breaks us out of their WCW vault, I guess, and they put it up on the network with very little hype. It's last minute hype, I guess. So I was surprised. I watched it this afternoon and um, just kind of want to throw it around in general. What did you guys, what did you make of it? What did you think about it, Justin? We know that uh, for for the longtime listeners of Top Rope Nation, you were a big fan of WCW in the early '90s, which is when Sting was really taken over as the big star. You know, when Flair went to the WWF, Sting was the torchbearer there in WCW. So, what did you think of this? I know it was pretty short, twenty-seven minutes or something like that. But what did you think? Yeah, it was uh, very short, uh, considering uh, it being a WWE doc, and I think. uh, NXT takeover main events could probably learn something from that. 
<laughs> you don't always have to go over 30 minutes, guys. Uh, my main takeaway is you do have to wonder if this is some outreach to Sting in, you know, in real life. Because I think this was lost because there really wasn't much to it. There was not a lot of substance to this. Um, frankly, my biggest takeaway from the entire thing was uh, Macho Man. I thought that <laughs> that that little interaction was by far the best because uh, that actually that didn't feel like Randy Savage. That felt like Lanny Pofo. Yeah, that that kind of was the big the big story. This is <laughs> what we actually saw backstage was the interaction with Savage. We saw a few talking heads giving props to Sting, notably Brian Pillman and mm-hmm. um, Chuck Tasha. Yeah, and we saw how Sting put on his face paint, which I guess was kind of cool to see. But what was, what was funny about that is him talking about how you know I think I'm going to stick with these colors, <laughs> it, which he doesn't. And then not only that, but uh, I think like a month later, uh, we start seeing his roots showing. He's starting to grow his natural hair color out. Yeah, yep. Everything's changing. Mm-hmm. Kyle, what'd you make of it? Justin brought up a good point about why this showed up when it did there have been the rumors about you know sting possibly entertaining offers from aew that seems to have cooled off over the last couple weeks but that was a big hot rumor before double or nothing i I had seen some people surmising that maybe it would have been wise for aew to bring sting in for the spot mike tyson got Mm -hmm. to present the tnt title now, we know that there was obviously bigger plans with Mike Tyson, so that wouldn't have made any sense in retrospect. But I can't help but agree kind of with Justin that this was sort of an olive branch by WWE to say, hey, Sting, we can do these things for you. That company can't, maybe. We can um, you know, highlight your career on our network. Not that AEW can't you know, remind people who Sting is, but I, I think – why this showed up so randomly has a lot to do with Sting to AEW. Remember why Edge came back? Yeah. He got an offer from AEW, and all of a sudden, WWE backed up the truck, gave him a lot of money, and you know here he is, ready to have the greatest match ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, as for the documentary itself, I don't think it's fair to compare this lost tape with some of these other long form features like the edge one, for instance, that we typically get on the WWE network. This was really something suited for the old, uh, hidden gems category. That's been discontinued. Sadly. Yeah. Cause the, the, yeah. The, there was really no story here. It was just like, this was filmed. It was never shown. And here it is. Yeah. It's I mean, not really doc- a documentary. It's more like, here's a bunch of backstage footage. We forgot we had kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, half of the 27 minutes or whatever is them showing the match with Big Bubba. Interestingly enough, and people who follow this show know that I pride myself on generally having watched virtually everything in this great sport. I have never seen this match until today. Or any of Slambury 95, for that matter. That is a pay-per-view I had never uh, really wanted to watch. That uh, pre-Nitro 1995 WCW was always a large black hole in my old tape collection. Yes. It was bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not a a great card. (laughs) 
<laughs> up and uh, up and down the card. But yeah, I don't think I had actually seen it either. I, or at least I didn't remember watching it. So I thought the match was good. Actually, you know, the video pack, the kind of the highlight package they showed in the documentary portion. I was like, oh, this match kind of looks interesting. I kind of want to watch it. And then sure enough, they just show the match in full. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, because I was going to go watch it just because I knew we were talking about Sting and this doc uh, today. So I thought the match was good, believe it or not. Um, yeah, I was, thought I, yeah I, thought, I thought I was, I was surprised that they did show the whole match, including the entrances. Like when that, when that all kicked up at first, I think I kind of just thought we were going to get some highlights and then you know, sure enough, both full blown entrances. Here we go. The full thing. So yeah, I thought it was good for what it was very brief, about a nine minute match, but uh, yeah, sting defeating big Bubba Rogers, AKA the big boss man. So yeah, it's an enjoyable yeah. watch. I'd, I'd recommend people check it out because it's brief. Again, as Justin said, you can watch the whole thing in uh, less than an NXT takeover main event. Sting had actually put Bubba over at the previous pay-per-view uncensored, mm-hmm. which I have watched. I've seen that one. Yes. For perverse reasons, I decided to uh, rent that from the lo- or dub it from the local video store. I rented it and dubbed it. Um, haven't watched. I don't think I watched it a second time ever. It was pretty horrible. And really, this is kind of an odd entry point to look at Sting, is it not? Kind of just going off what we were just yeah. saying, because yeah. critically speaking, WCW was not good during this time period. I don't know if either of you guys would like to disagree with that. Uh, and I don't think there's any disagreement that Sting was really being de-emphasized in 1995 in favor of Hogan and Savage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this is the, this is the discussion we're going to have. We thought that this documentary would be kind of a good excuse to talk about Sting's career a little bit. You know, his best matches, where he was in 95 and all of that. So we are going to do that here in just a minute. Before we get to it, though, I do have to get some housekeeping out of the way. And that is the fact that, of course, as I mentioned a little bit ago, we are members of the Blue Wire Podcasting Network. Check out BlueWirePods.com for all your podcasting needs sports movies entertainment they have it all anything you're into i am sure they have a podcast for you so when you get done listening to top rope nation check out bluewirepods.com or just search blue wire on your podcasting apps there's other wrestling shows on the network as well including our good friends over at the two jabronis with the wrestling podcast check them out and of course our friend chris van vliet who you are all probably familiar with also a member of the blue wire podcasting network and if you want to help out top rope nation hit us up with five stars and click that subscribe button wherever you are listening to podcasts if you leave us a written review over on stitcher or apple Podcasts, we will read it on the air and if you do so Leave your Instagram or Twitter username in the review. We'll send you a free Top Rope Nation sticker in the mail. But you need to leave that username so that we know how to get a hold of you. Do that. So make sure you do that. And also check out patreon.com slash Nation for details on how you can support the show in the best way possible over at Patreon. Because you get bonus content from us for being a patron of the show. Exclusive podcasts that you cannot hear anywhere else. Almost 20 of them available right now when you sign up, as well as a free gift for signing up for the Patreon page. So check it out over at patreon.com slash Nation. And with that said, we also need to send a shout out to our good friends over at Bet Online.
There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament that you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling The Final Dance. Visit BetOnline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE, that's all one word, to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. that said, Kyle, go ahead and take us into this discussion on Sting. Okay. First off, would anyone disagree that 1995 WCW largely stinks and Sting was being de-emphasized? I don't I think that's think there's any you'll argument. Find, you'll find okay. no disagreement from me. Okay. Justin? just Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, cool. All right. So looking at Sting's career, big picture, if you want to paint it with one broad stroke, I've thought about this for a long time and I kind of always wanted to get some input on it and luckily i do a podcast with two other people so here goes by any objective measure sting had a very successful professional wrestling career i think most people uh, who have been in the professional wrestling industry would love to have the career sting had mm-hmm. absolutely that said there's kind of an odd dichotomy because as successful as he was it probably wasn't quite as successful as WCW hoped for, at least in terms of box office. I don't think any of his title runs really changed the company's fortunes as had been hoped. So how do you guys view Sting? Am I, is that an accurate way to look at him? Am I out to lunch? What, what do you guys think about that? I'll throw it to you first, Justin, and then I'll, I'll come after you. Um, well, I'm not a, a numbers guy, so I would have to uh, assume what you're saying is correct as far as uh, box office appeal. I know a uh, 10-year-old Justin Joint freaking loved him. Um, I, I was a huge Sting fan growing up. Uh, and I wonder how much of that is it Sting or is it maybe just some booking snafus? Or like uh, uh, you and Liam discussed on the, uh, the Squared Circle Gazette radio, um, when he got injured, when he was supposed to to win the title, was that at uh, was that at Wrestle War? Yeah, at Wrestle War, he was supposed to win it, and they had to delay it mm-hmm. five months. Um, you know, and then as you guys talk about, you know, Ultimate Warrior gets the belt before Sting. Uh, does that take any of the uh, the sizzle off of Sting winning? I don't know, probably not, but you know, an argument could be made. Um, you know, I think he was just, he was just an all time baby face. Uh, and if you were a mark of a certain age, I mean, I don't know how you could not like him. And if you're more of a ring work guy, he maybe, maybe lacked a little bit there, but I mean, he could certainly go with a a variety of different wrestling styles. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think 
I think when you look at Sting's career, you know, either him or Ric Flair is generally seen as the face of WCW. But the difference is, of course, Sting never left for the WWF like Flair did. So when Flair was gone, I think, you know, Sting did give the company some stability. Not to say that they didn't fall apart at all, but uh, (laughs) they really could have fallen apart if they didn't have him. So although he didn't really, like, ramp up the business during that period, maybe he held it a little more steady, even though, of course, they were losing money. Um, It could have got worse. I think that Sting was a guy growing up during that era that, like, Anyone at school that liked wrestling was familiar with him. You know, he was a, a big star. And later on, of course, with the NWO storyline, he was the ultimate foil for the NWO, which you know led to their yes. best storyline of all time. So in that in that regard, he did draw money. Um, oh, yeah. But during the early part of his career, you know, 95 and earlier, what we're talking about with when this documentary was made. Yeah, he wasn't really someone that moved the numbers in a big way. At the same time, I think WWF would have been overjoyed to have ever gotten him to sign during that period. Um, but you are right, Kyle. It is it's an interesting dichotomy because he's not really a numbers guy. He's not he's not a guy that moved the needle a ton, but he was a star. So it's it's hard to quantify exactly like what made him such a star because he was a star during a very down period. A more succinct way to put it, what I said earlier it would be he's a really big star but you can argue he was expected to be bigger yeah than he even was um and again most wrestlers uh would trade their career for stings but you know just getting to the title run situation that i touched on it wasn't his fault it usually wasn't as a matter of fact uh you look at the big title win in 1990 over flair which they had built to for two freaking years and WCW have been counting on to be this like transformative moment in the history of the promotion. Sting, the franchise, he's finally arrived. You know, he's going to take us into the 90s. What happens six months later? He loses the title back to Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. And he was getting like in, in the reaction from that Meadowlands crowd was kind of 50-50. And again, it wasn't all his fault. That's how run the injury at the start of the year screwed everything up. They turned Luger baby face when he was supposed to be the heel foil for Sting's title run. Initially, the black scorpion obviously stunk. There just weren't a lot of heels for him to feud with because they were trying to de-emphasize flair uh, rather foolishly. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to the one time when he did equal big box office Starcade 97, the biggest number WCW ever did. On pay-per-view, who winds up as the champion five months later again? (laughs) Hogan, the guy he beat. And, you know, there was a lot. Now, he was completely sabotaged that night at Starcade by Hogan in one of the most selfish and unprofessional acts in the history of this business. It is absolute bullshit what Hulk Hogan pulled at Starcade 97. Let me state that on the record. It's hideous. And like that fact that Bischoff wants to retcon that he went, that he knew about a kid. Stop. (laughs) If you knew about it and let that happen, you're actually a bigger jackass. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that he, he would allow the biggest match in company history to be sabotaged by some selfish ass. (laughs) Cause he didn't want to look good. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, the 
should have been fast th- count by Nick Patrick that wasn't a fast count and made Sting and Bret Hart both look like idiots <laughs> in that match. So that was not Sting's fault. Um, that said, uh, he, he didn't show a ton of fire in early 98. I don't know. I think he kind of <laughs> left some of his in-ring fire up in the rafters. But still, um, you know. <laughs> You've been sitting on cr- that joke all day. I know you have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. G- Give him credit. I mean, it, it, it's funny that we're going to talk about you know, who his most famous rival is here in a little bit. It's kind of funny though, as much as we want to rip Hogan and bitch about him, and there's a lot to bitch about him. Certainly Hogan was the guy he drew the most money against. And you could say the same for Luger. Hmm. You know, I mean, those were supposed to be the guys who took the baton from Ric Flair and led WCW into the nineties. That never really worked out that way. But here it is when they worked with Hogan, uh, you know, that that was probably the best box office success of either guys. Because certainly Sting's and probably Luger's as well. Yeah, right before. no argument there. That's for sure. So when you look at Sting's career, I, a couple of questions I have for you guys. And this isn't on the agenda. But I just want to throw this out quick before we get to his best matches and his best rivalries. Which look do you prefer, Surfer Sting or Crow Sting? Either one of you. Oh, man. I mean... The Crow is one of my all-time guilty pleasure favorite movies, and I don't know if I've ever been more hyped for a character than when he first started showing up in the rafters. I mean, that was that was really exciting. Yes, um, I agree. But man, it's hard to go against Surfer Sting. I mean, <laughs> that's you know that's what got me as a kid. That's what drew <laughs> me in. Uh, yeah, all the colors and the different tights. I mean, it was just a. Kind of a, uh, for me, it was the WCW version of Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Kyle? Yeah, I'll go Surfer Sting, although you can argue Sting's greatest moment was, as the Crow version, Uncensored 97, how that show went off the air when he came down from the rafters and attacked the NWO from the first time. That may be Sting's finest moment. Yeah. I like both of them. That crowd was just insane. Yeah. I like both of them, and I would echo what Justin said. I was so pumped Yeah, when when Sting debuted the look and everything and see him in the rafters and the surprise appearances and stuff. But at the same time, during that period, like when the Crow thing started to kind of wind down a little bit, I always had in the back of my mind, I wonder when he's going to go back to the old look. I wonder when he's going to go back to the old look. And we never really got it. I guess a couple times, like in TNA, he kind of wore that old face paint, but he still was kind of mixed with the crow. Like, I was always kind of thinking, like, I wanted him to go back to the old look. I think when he kind of grew out the brown hair and stopped dyeing it, I liked that look a lot, too. But it was still basically surfer sting. I just wanted to throw it out there because it seems like... Mm -hmm. When people comment on him on social media, I always see the crow sting getting the most love, but maybe I'm just an old school guy. I like I like the surfer sting the best. And my other question, this one's more for Justin Joint, because Justin, I have to say, you shocked me. Yes. Yes, Absol- I did rock up I did rock up rat tail as a kid. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> true true story. That is a great that was not where I was going, but I'm glad to know that. <laughs> No, my other question was, Justin, you shocked me on our Owen Hart show a couple weeks ago when you really despised the Owen Hart mid-90s theme song. So I just wanted to ask you, what's your thoughts on Man Called Sting as an entrance theme? 
Not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> oh, come on! I no, love that theme, man. Good. I do. Man called Sting! <laughs> that is... Uh, it's not good. Especially compared to his original one, which, to me, and probably... That is just, a great theme song. It's probably just because it's the one I grew up on, but to me, that Dude. fit better with his character than that generic man called Sting. I actually liked Man Called Sting better than the original. Maybe that's that heresy. Crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> Ma- Man Called Sting was from Slam Jam, the album, right? Which yes, is, it was. Of course, yeah. First recorded album in human history. I mean, I just, I can't imagine. One of my favorite moments in wrestling history is Sting coming back from the knee injury at Clash 17 to face Rude. And I just, the, the way that music hits, yes. I, I, I can't imagine that with, a man called Sting. It, it wouldn't have seemed near as badass. Even with the guitar solo at the beginning? I mean, come on. No? Okay, I'll make you a deal, Justin. I let off the show with Man Called Sting. I will. Our outro will be the original Sting theme song, there just for you, buddy. There we go. There you go. We'll make a compromise. <laughs> All right, I had to throw those two out there. So let's get into this discussion on, on his best rivalries and matches here. You know, we've done these Mount Rushmore lists on the show quite a bit, and we're going to kind of take it down that road, but we're not going to limit ourselves uh, to four matches. Let's, we'll just throw out some of the big ones. But I think... Undoubtedly, if if you talk about Sting's best opponents, the two names that are going to come up are Vader and Flair. Would you guys disagree? As far as in no. the ring goes? Yeah, no, those those are the two. Okay. And so, Kyle, between those two, what are your thoughts? Which was the better, better rivalry, Flair or Vader? I get that Sting and Flair defined the promotion more. But in ring, I actually prefer the rivalry with Vader. Um, outside of that match, the first clash, I don't necessarily love any other Sting Flair match. The match where Sting wins the title, Great American Match 90, is good, mm-hmm. not great. And I guess that's kind of how I view most Flair Sting matches good, but not great. If you're looking for kind of a hidden gem among them, the match they have at the first World War III pay-per-view in uh, 1995, November of 95, that one's uh, a little more enjoyable than some others. But um, Vader, man, it's hard for me to pick a favorite because there's like three that are so neck and neck. And I would say I enjoy all three of them probably better than the first Clash match with Flair. I agree with you. I'm yeah, right the, those three matches being Great American Bash 92, Starcade 92, and Slam uh, Super Brawl 3. Okay. Yeah, I think I agree with you, too. I think I like the dynamic of the bigger guy, Vader, with Sting versus, I guess, you know, the first the first match at Clash had Sting as the, you know, the up-and-coming star, and that's the match that made him the 45-minute draw and stuff. But I think after that, I'm not as intrigued by the by the Sting Flare matches. I would agree with you there. Yeah, and what's interesting about the three big, quote-unquote, Sting-Vader matches, they're all kind of different. The 92 Great American Bash match, to me, it's a very similar story to John Cena-Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam 2014, it's just a better match. It's yeah. not as one-sided, but it's very much about making 
a monster heel. And Sting should be commended um, because not a lot of top baby faces do this. He put Vader over um, incredibly. I mean, he, he just did a clean job for the guy in the middle of the ring. I know they, you know, kind of did a spot where Sting hit his head on the post after a, you know, ill-fated Stinger splash. But still, that's a clean finish even by 1992 standards. Yeah. So. There was that. And then Starcade 92 has the big moves. I think that's the one Meltzer likes the most. Yes. Um, if you know yeah. kind of how Dave, you know, what Dave likes, if you've been following him along. And this isn't a criticism at all, for the record. But if you know kind of what Dave likes, I think it makes sense that that's his favorite of the three because it's kind of got the bigger moves in mm-hmm. it. Um, and then I like the strap match the best, despite the usually terrible strap match ending being a part of it. It's got the big moves and that tinge of violence that I really like. You know, Vader bleeds some. Um, it's really good, as long as you don't watch the White Castle of Fear. <laughs> what, what, I don't remember. What was that all about? What was the White Castle of Fear? Vader kept asking him to come to the White Castle of Fear. It was the second mini-movie. You talk about cinematic wrestling. Uh, it was It was back around then, folks. They, like... Sting took this helicopter to visit Vader's White Castle of Fear, and it was as dumb as it sounds. <laughs> uh, I was wondering if it's just like having one too many uh, sliders from the restaurant, spending too much time in the bathroom. Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was just like, it, am I wrong? You know, it's been a long time since I watched that. Didn't they, they like Sting in the helicopter? And it was like a thoughts with Jack Handy type, type yeah. thing. We're like, he wasn't speaking, but you could like it, it just showed him not talking, but like you could hear his like thoughts like he was still narrating while he was sitting there riding silent in the helicopter. It was very bad. <laughs> that was the kind of thing. And again, that's not Sting's fault. That was the brain trust at WCW who thought that was a good idea. But um, yeah, I, I, I love the Vader matches to me. Yeah. Picking one of those three is really if I was to do a Mount Rushmore, you have to have at least one Vader match on. And I could make a case that all three of those should belong on there. Yeah. But I don't think that's yeah. the right way to do about Rushmore personally. I like the strap match the best, probably the super brawl match, but it's pretty close with the Starcade match to me though. Mm-hmm. Of the three, those two are, are the best ones. In my opinion, I think the Starcade one is pretty, um, it's, it's impressive because these guys wrestled like three times on that show. <laughs> I guess that says a little bit of about the depth issues in WCW in late 1992, but like Sting and Vader wrestled in tag matches and lethal lottery tag matches early in that show for the battle bowl at the end of the show, the battle Royal, which they were also in. And in between you had Sting and Vader wrestling this really good match um, that, yeah, to me, that's it's neck and neck with the strap match for me. But imagine I, I, turning I, your, your biggest show of the year into a gimmick show, by the way. Yeah. That was one of all <laughs> again, that's that ain't Sting's fault. Probably wasn't his idea to turn your biggest show of the year into a into battle bowl, a gimmick yeah, show. Yeah. But yeah, it's pretty close. Those two are they're they're up there for me. And with Flair, obviously the clash match is the one that most people are gonna mention as as being the best between them. Um but yeah, Sting Flair at Starcade eighty nine. I think that that's a really good one too. That's a that's a tournament match, right? Yeah, again, was it like the Iron Man uh, tournament? Again. They all wrestled multiple times on that show as well. Yeah, that would have been like a really cool idea in 2020, but 
I just imagine the 1989 NWA audience, and I'm not trying to mock anyone or belittle anyone, because to be honest, I watched the opening to that when they explained the rules, and I'm like, come on, man. What's all this counting? Let's just wrestle. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it just, it, it was like not what... <laughs> How do you, uh, yeah, how do you break down the scores here? Who's ahead? Like, yeah, it yeah, was kind of like, complex. And the, you could just tell it was like a failure because the announcers were like just over explaining everything. And it's like, man, this is this just isn't what the, your big show of the year should be. <laughs> 20 points for a pinfall or submission. 15 points for a countout. 10 points for a DQ victory. Five for a draw. Zero for a loss. That was the rules. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Sting Sting ended up with 40 points with two pinfall victories and one loss. Yeah, it's a little complex uh, for the show, but the match was really good. Uh, so I think for Sting Flair, it's those two. It's Clash and uh, the first Clash and Starcade 89. But, you know, Sting and Flair were also involved at, in a very good tag team match together. Halloween Havoc 89. Sting and Flair against Terry Funk and Great Muda. Sting actually pretty damn good tag team wrestler. Um, yes. I wrote I wrote a top ten Sting matches column about six years ago, back when I was writing for uh, WhatCulture.com. So I, I referred back to that, getting ready for the show, and I had that one in the top ten. I had uh, Sting and let's see, Sting and Flair versus Dick Slater and the Great Muda from Clash. Oh, 8. I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, the Terry Funk plastic bag angle yeah. got them in a lot of trouble with Turner. Sting and Luger against the Steiners from Super Brawl mm-hmm. 1, you know, another good tag match. Of course, um, we've got the Wrestle War 92 match from War Games as well as uh, Wrestle War 91 back to back, two basically five star matches. I'd argue Wrestle War 92, the superior of them. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Sting really good in these multi person matches as well. So it's, if you look at him, a very well rounded performer, that is for sure. I, I would throw out, uh, Sting and Muda versus the Steiners, uh, Japan's Super Show 92. I like that one. There you go. There's a deep dive. I remember being, yeah, I remember being really psyched to get that tape. That it's a a good match, too. I was, you know, um, the Sting Muda rivalry was pretty sweet in 89. And, you know, it's funny. I actually prefer when you talk about those 89 tags, Ryan, that you brought up, I actually prefer the Slater Muda one better. Um, cause it didn't have those good, the, it wasn't in that goofy cage mm-hmm. and you know, Terry Funk was injured. The Thunderdome cage, got, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you've got to find a replacement for Terry Funk, is there a better guy to get than Dick Slater? Who was basically like a poor man's Terry Funk. Like <laughs> yeah. I just, like, it's funny watching that match and it's just like Dick Slater trying to be Terry Funk the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, it, it doesn't call it's not bad at all. Again, that's not a criticism. I think he did under the circumstances a very good job. That's clash eight uh, for those keeping score at home. You talk about sting and multi-person matches. I think one of the very first deep dives I ever gave out uh, on top rope nation was a six man early 1990 sting teaming with Rick flair and Arn Anderson against Muda uh, buzz Sawyer and the dragon master on the power hour. Uh, from a red hot NWA stronghold of Johnson city, Tennessee. That's January, 1990 and um, a comparable six man. I just joint will love this uh, pairing. I can tell you that sting Luger and Wyndham mm. versus Rick Arn and Tully 
This is right after the first clash. It was on the very first episode of Main Event. That can be found on uh, YouTube rather easily. Hmm. There you go. That was in South Carolina. Again, a red-hot crowd. I think the internet ran off the real wrestling fans. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, these people just wanted to see the baby faces kick the heels' asses. They were into, you know... Star ratings that in Spartanburg, South Carolina, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can't really go wrong with any of these that we're talking about. I mean, jeez, no. this is a great era of wrestling. I, the other one that I I would have to mention that from my top ten list that I haven't yet is his match with Cactus Jack at Beach Blast. Yes, you know, yeah. during that era when they removed. The uh, protection from the floor outside the ring. What a freaking genius idea that was. Yeah, uh, and Cactus just didn't give a shit. And he's just like, hey, you know what? I'll take the nasty plunge on concrete. Screw he comes it. off the second rope to the concrete below with an elbow drop, I believe, in that match, which is just crazy. Yeah. Do you know what's even crazier is when he does the sunset flip yeah. spot. Yeah. And the announcer's like, geez, man. Like, it, <laughs> it was almost like uh, Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura were like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you're looking for a great Foley Sting match, there you go. Sting Cactus Jack Beach Blast 92. And they had one other one, too. If you're someone like the three of us and you've seen that, you want to see another good one. They wrestled in, uh, was it Main Event or Power Hour? I want to say it was Power Hour. In November of 91, under Submit or Surrender Rules. That can be found on YouTube rather easily as well. Yes, it's, um, power I don't hour. think it's quite as good as the Beach Blast match, but it's it's pretty comparable. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was on November 19th, 91. Submit or Surrender. Yeah, it's very red- readily available on uh, YouTube. Just pulled it up, including on one very big channel, Monsoon Classic. He's got it on his channel. It's not on Monsoon Classic. Does it really exist? He's got them all. Yeah. So yeah, check those out too. So there's one interesting question here. You look at all the matches we've talked about. They're kind of confined to one era, aren't they? Late '80s, early '90s. Mm -hmm. What about Crow era Sting, or really just anything after this lost tape? I have one entry that I would like to recommend. I didn't know if you guys had any post-1995 Sting recommendations. He had a good one. God. Against Jeff Hardy and TNA. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) But, yes. Which, which honestly, is my strongest memory of Sting in TNA, sadly. (laughs) Yes, Jeff Hardy... Uh, was the opposite of sober. We've all been there. Okay. I'm not going to sit here and cast aspersions, but uh, I don't think uh, any of us uh, were there when it was time for a pay-per-view main event. God, that was a disaster. <laughs> By the way, let me issue a correction. The Submitter Surrender, one YouTube channel has it labeled uh, November 19th. Maybe that is the date it was actually taped. It looks like it was the November 23rd, 91 edition of Power Hour. So sorry. Okay. To, had to clear that up. Before I got fact Some people are real big with this is the date it was it actually happened versus this is the air date. You know, yeah. Yeah, there's some real inconsistency with that. We need to come up with a uniform way as an internet wrestling community. <laughs> yeah. You well, know, the later matches, though, um, you know, I always wanted to see Brett and Sting have a, a classic just because they had the same finishing hold. 
you know, the sharpshooter and the scorpion deathlock were pretty close to the same thing. Brett did it on like the left side and Sting did it on the right side. That was about the only difference. Uh, Brett leaned back further than Sting did. I, I always thought Brett's, you know, looked a little bit more painful, but basically the, the same finishing hold. They had the match at Halloween Havoc 98. Not like didn't I wouldn't say it lived up to my all time dream match expectations, but it was a pretty good match on a not a great pay per view. I think that's 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 worth the watch. I think for a later Sting match. I think if you were to watch one late era Sting match, I had forgotten that this match even happened until recently. Someone brought it up, and I was like, "Oh my god, that was a great match!" And I went back and watched it. And it was really good. I remember watching it live. In my dorm room freshman year, my one roommate was like, who's not like a huge wrestling fan, was like losing his mind. Like at this Sting and DDP, April 26th, 1999 Nitro. WCW uh, inexplicably put two really good weeks of television together in (laughs) April of 99. Uh, the, The Spring Stampede show is awesome. From that year, I mean, it's funny, This the, the creative is heinous as it was throughout 1998. People forget, and I've mentioned this on the show before, and I'll mention it again not right now, Super Brawl 9 with Hogan and Flair on top basically did the same amount of pay-per-view buys as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Hmm. People forget about that, that this company was not dead as they rolled into the 1999 and if you were to watch Spring Stampede 99 in a vacuum, you would absolutely be under the impression this was a very healthy company um, that, you know, had two legs to stand on. It just shockingly fell apart in May. Um, it just it was insane because you had Goldberg, you had Sting, and yet Kevin Nash makes himself the top babyface. <laughs> Now, Kevin has been a tremendous baby face to me with some of his recent comments on Twitter.com. <laughs> okay, I've enjoyed those, uh, but I did not enjoy his 1999 baby face run as world champion. I thought it absolutely sucked ass, for lack of a better term. <laughs> so, but if you watch this DDP stick match, it, it's the kind of main event level match that we needed to get more of once Hogan wasn't always the champion. You know? Mm the rep for WCW shows was like, well, the undercard kicked ass and then you had the stars in the main event, but the matches kind of sucked. And then that's, that's true. I'm not going to argue with that at all. It's a very accurate portrait of what WCW was, uh, in the nitro era, but we didn't get matchups like sting versus DDP enough. And, uh, April 26, 99 people should really check this match out. I think you could make an argument as the best match in Nitro history. Wow. Wow. So um, it it was a, a kind of a crazy – the whole TV show is actually worth watching. Like I said, um, it, it was a good episode of Nitro. It might, might have been the last great episode of Nitro, quite frankly. I'm real glad to hear that because I attended a Nitro about one month later, and it was atrocious. So <laughs> – I missed missed a good Nitro. Like, seriously, if you watch these two episodes and then you're like, wait a minute. Kevin Nash, who is a participant in the finger poke of doom, a co-conspirator, is now the baby face challenging DDP. (laughs) Watch Spring Stampede when Nash puts Goldberg over, as he should have. 
And you're like, that's wait, Nash is a baby face is challenging DDP. That's your main event. I'm, t- I'm telling you, May 1999, WCW just didn't fall off a cliff. They <laughs> fell off the end of the earth. Yeah, that is for sure. So, and again, I know you guys are not keen on Goldberg, but Goldberg and Sting had a pretty fun Nitro match in September of 98, the same night that Ric Flair returned. Whatever, no, I can't remember the exact date now. But uh, it had a bad finish with Hulk Hogan, of course, uh, putting his ugly mug on the screen. Imagine that. But it was like, it, it made you think that, God, how did they not do a big Goldberg Sting match? Was was that match, was that uh, goatee Wolfpack Sting? Because I don't acknowledge that Sting. <laughs> I don't think he had his goatee, did he? In, in September '98, uh, he may have. I'm not positive though. I think think so. Okay, yeah, I don't know. Well, if if you if you know if if you don't want to watch a match between two guys with goatees, then by all means, you can <laughs> it's like again, it's the kind of main event WCW needed more of. You know, Goldberg and Page. You know. Had, yeah, you know, that's yeah. as Goldberg's best match in Halloween Havoc. Um, they, they had guys who were willing to do it as long as they weren't having the life sucked out of them by Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash. <laughs> and Sting was one of those guys who was, who I'm sure, who would have been a lot more motivated if he wasn't kind of just been like, well, you know, just, you know, go over there in the corner and yell wolf packs in the house. <laughs> now, that was a hell of a theme song, though. I got to throw that out. Wolfpack NWO theme was pretty damn good. Um, so speaking of falling off a cliff, you know, Sting went to TNA for years. And uh, it's it's unfortunate, I think, when you look at this now. You know, we did eventually get him in the WWE, you know, when he worked the, the Triple H match and the match with Rollins and all of that. But it was like so many years later, like 2014, 2015. <sighs> He spent year after year after year in the mid 2000s in TNA, and it it's too bad he did that. He had some pretty good matches during that period. You know, um, Justin just mentioned one of them. He wrestled had a good match with Angle, I recall in TNA. But man, if if he would have came to the WWE around that 0405 period, we could have probably got maybe like a a later career resurgence out of sting uh in front of a lot more eyeballs i think i know there's a lot of people out there that were big fans of his tna run in the wrestling community they i mean prefer not, to be called impact yeah <laughs> now impact wrestling you know for the people that were watching maybe maybe i'm overstating it by saying a lot of people but people within the wrestling community they're People are very complimentary of what he did in TNA, but I look at that as a lot of wasted years personally, because I would have liked to have seen him work on a bigger stage to kind of wind down his career. What, do you, what are your guys' thoughts on that and, and him going to TNA? Totally agree. It, it's not so much that, you know, the smaller audience with the TNA, it's kind of all the dream matches that yeah. were left on the table that he could have had with guys that while maybe not in their prime or at least not in you know the twilight you know we could have gotten the undertaker match the Shawn michaels you know they did angle in tna but you know it would have been nice to see on a bigger stage and uh yeah i mean I, you can go on and on with all, all the matches that we never really got to see with sting mm-hmm. yeah kyle big fan of the they TNA wanted run. a 
They wanted him, WWE. They tried, but mm-hmm. Sting correctly figured they weren't going to use him well. <laughs> and he declined every time. I think the story was uh, the very first time they wanted him was uh, to work angle at WrestleMania 18. Yeah. And he had just watched how the invasion angle was botched, and he's like, nah, I'm cool. <laughs> and I think Rock wanted to work with him, too. Mm-hmm. And he just he didn't want to come in. He just didn't want to come in and uh, be, you know, the, you know, just another WCW guy who was, you know, referred to as, oh, big fish in a small pond. And, of course, you know, he does show up. And that's kind of what they did with him anyway in 2015. Yeah. You know, where inexplicably that Triple H Sting storyline. I know a lot of people really enjoyed that match in the moment. But, man, you look back at it. Like, the storytelling there kind of went off the rails. Like, it was like Sting showing up to stop the injustice of the authority at Survivor Series, right? Now, that and was a pretty time, cool moment. That was pretty—I remember, it was like, I was that really was great. that. Yeah. That was great, and, he, and yet Dolph Ziggler got, like, his biggest win ever. Um, but by the time WrestleMania rolled around, what was it? It was another metaphor for the frickin' Monday Night Wars. Yep. Where, you know, hey, this is the final match between WWF and WCW all these years later. And it's like, ugh. Yeah. We're still going through that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you know, hopefully had he have come over, we would have we would have had him for several years. And maybe they would have got that out of their system. And we could have got some of those dream matches. We'll never know. But as you pointed out, Kyle, it was it was up to him. It wasn't like WWE didn't want him. They tried no, to get him like, numerous like, oh, times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they tried to get him numerous yeah, times throughout him. his career, and uh, he turned him down every time. He was he was that big holdout, even well after WCW went out of business, where he was like the one guy that wouldn't come over until he finally did years and years later. So, and he was like you said at the very top, the only guy who never left. Yeah, you know, some guys, you know, you know, you mentioned Flair. I mean, Luger did his time. Came back, same with Sid. And then there were obviously a lot of guys like Hogan and Savage, you know, obviously huge WWF names that came over hmm. to WCW. Sting was the one constant of the Turner era, never, never left. Always, always was the hallmark. Yeah. So if, if there's anyone out there that has claim to the face of WCW, it's, it's definitely Sting. So hopefully this episode has given you guys a reason to use that network subscription if you have one. Or maybe if you have the new free WWE Network tier they announced this week, you can go back and watch some of those. But uh, we got some current wrestling on the horizon this weekend. NXT TakeOver in your house. If you guys didn't hear our, our last episode, we did a deep dive on the Monday show of the best in-your-house matches of all time. A really fun show with Zach Haydorn of PW Torch. Highly recommend checking it out in the archives if you haven't to get you ready for uh, NXT, bringing back the in-your-house pay-per-view theme this weekend. We'll be reviewing uh, NXT TakeOver from what we're seeing from the listeners. You guys like these these pay-per-view style review shows. Our uh, AEW Double or Nothing show is one of our most downloaded shows of the last couple of months. So we will definitely be back to review NXT TakeOver in your house and give you guys our thoughts on that. So with that said, I think that, that wraps up Top Rope Nation episode 147. Anything you guys want to throw out to the listeners before we take it home? <laughs> I just have one thing really quick. 26 years ago today, Masawa Kawada. If you haven't watched it, 
There you go. Do it right now. There you go. Highly recommend it. That's a great call. Good callback. Good uh, this day in history. I like it. All right, guys. So like I said at the top of the show, again, review, subscribe, leave us a rating. We'd appreciate it. And of course, if you really want to help us out, recommend the show to one of your wrestling friends out there. Get them to tune in. Give the show a try. We'd greatly appreciate the word of mouth spreading the news about Top Rope Nation. So with that said, I am Ryan Drosty here for Kyle Ross and Justin Joint. And for Justin, we're taking it out with the original Sting WCW theme song. Catch you guys next time. Do, do, do.